Father, we thank you for this wonderful day. We thank you for the beauty of it. We thank you for allowing us to be here to open your word, to study it. Now open our hearts that we may understand the truths that you would teach us in Christ's name. Amen. How many people did their homework and read 1 Corinthians 12 through 14? If I if I had if this was a class I have I have little gold smiley faces that Donna gets I give you a smiley face to stick on your paper like a little star you know when you're in school um, we're going to be doing a lot of uh, work in First Corinthians 12 through 14 so if you've not read that I would suggest this week that you go through and read it um, because we're going to really really be spending some time in there um, going through it. We're going to start our session here on spiritual gifts, and we're going to be talking about what they are, how they operate, who has them, and uh, at the end of this, we'll even be talking probably about the one topic that everybody wants to ask about, well, what about tongues, what about healings, what about these guys on TV that I see all the time that do miracles and all this kind of stuff, is that real, is that really the Holy Spirit behind that? Um, We'll be talking about all of those things, so we got quite a little bit of uh, adventure ahead. This is going to run about five or six weeks by the time we get everything done here. So that's where we're headed. So let's look at what a spiritual gift is. Yes. No, we got to get the attendance. Or Dan, Dan will whoop on me if you don't. Yeah. Dan Sands will do me bodily harm if you don't put your name down on the. Yeah. Let's look at the uh, definition of a spiritual gift. What is a spiritual gift? This is uh, the Schaefer definition. And, uh, you know, I like that when I don't have to tell people to shut up, but the class tells everybody to shut up. That's good. I like that. Um, this is the definition that we'll be using in the class. In fact, this is probably one you ought to memorize because it really tells you what a spiritual gift is. But a spiritual gift is a package composed of divine enablements given to the believer by the Holy Spirit at the moment of salvation for the purpose of ministering to others in the body of Christ. This is a very important definition, extremely important. First of all, it is a package. What do we mean by a package? When I say package, what? Could be more than one. Usually people say, well, I have the spiritual gift of teaching, but I don't have the gift of giving or faith or anything else. Um, the, the, the spiritual gift is a package, and usually they, they clump together into groups. For example, in my particular case, my spiritual gift is that of teaching, but I also have the gift of knowledge, because if I didn't have that, I wouldn't know what to teach, right? And I have to have a little bit of the gift of wisdom, or if not, I don't know how to apply that which I know to teach what the Bible says. So you have a package. It's a package. So everybody in here who is a believer has a package. It's also composed of what we call divine enablements. What are divine enablements? Well, there are several lists of spiritual gifts in the New Testament that uh, exist there. Um, you have a list in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Um, There's a list in Romans chapter 12, verse 8. There's also a list in 1 Peter and uh, and another list in um, Ephesians chapter 4. All right? And in all these cases, usually what people do is they say, well, these are all the spiritual gifts there are, the divine enablements. For example, let me talk about some. Uh, Can we interrupt for a second? Yeah. Can you 
Yes. Yeah. So the handout that's going around is not the right one. Ouch. Um, so is there Wait a minute. Where did that come? Okay. She's still getting the handouts. So these are some handouts that were laying around. Yeah. Yeah, they're coming. I'm sorry. Well, we're having a rough time today, aren't we? Well, well, you know, I don't have the spiritual gift of organization. I'm sorry. Um, Yeah. Oh, well. Don't worry. They're on their way. Anyways, I thought they came back pretty fast. She she just went to get them. Um, for, For example, some divine enablements are teaching, wisdom, knowledge. Um, administration, uh, and then of course we have the sign gifts, healing, miracles, tongues, interpretation of tongues. Um, we have the gift of prophecy, of teaching. All of those are divine enablements. And uh, usually what the Holy Spirit does, or what not usually, but what the Holy Spirit does is just as you look at a computer screen and you see, by the way, anybody know how many different colors the eye can observe and understand? But how many different? I think somewhere around a million different shades of color you can figure out. I used to, I used to know that. Now, I mean, digital photography, for example, your computer screen can show 16 million different colors, but you can't discern that number of colors. It's, it's somewhere around a million, I think. But uh, all those millions of colors are really made up of three primary colors, red, green, and blue, RGB. Um, and that's why they call them an RGB monitor. So red, green, and blue. And you can take any of those three colors and mix them in different proportions and get 16 million plus different colors. And that's what the Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit takes a little bit of this gift, a little bit of that gift, a little bit of this. He mixes it up and gives it to you. That's your color. Which means that all of you in here are unique. You all have a unique gifting. Only you have that gifting. Only you have that particular mixture of gifts. And uh, that's what we're going to be talking about, how to find out what that mixture is and how to use it. And it's given to the believer. This is a, a spiritual gift, by the way, belongs to believers. It doesn't belong to unbelievers. Now, unbelievers may have talent. But one thing we're going to talk about is a talent is different than a gift. Okay. Some people have talent. Some people say, well, my spiritual gift is baking. Um, no, that's not listed as one of the divine enablements. Now, one of the divine enablements is the gift of helps. So it might fall into that category, but you don't have the spiritual gift of baking or the spiritual gift of criticism, as some say. That's my spiritual gift. I can criticize. No, that's not a spiritual gift. All right. That might be a talent, but it's not a spiritual gift. All right. Um, And it's given to you at the moment of salvation. When you became a believer, God gave, the Holy Spirit gave to you a unique gifting that only you have and that might connect to some of your talents, right? For example, if you can't talk, you're probably not going to be a teacher. So it might relate to a talent, a natural talent you have. It may be totally different. And it's energized by the Holy Spirit. And the purpose of a spiritual gift, this is really important. This is probably one of the most important statements here. It's to minister to others. It's not to minister to yourself. Alright? It's not for the purpose of, of making you spiritual. And that's one of the major, um, if you want to think about it, one of the major sticking points that comes with tongues. People say, well, I have tongues and they're for my own, you know, my own personal um, prayer language, for my own personal 
you know, spiritual growth. And it's like, well, that's not what a spiritual gift is. A spiritual gift is not given to you to make you grow. It's given to you to help others grow. It's always other-centered. It's for someone else. Uh, my spiritual gift of teaching does me no good if I sit and look at myself in a mirror and talk to myself. All right? It doesn't help me at all. It doesn't help the body of Christ at all. My spiritual gift of teaching is only good if I use it to teach other people. And, and that's what a spiritual gift is. So whenever you think spiritual gift, you always have to think it is for others, not for myself. Yeah. Most of the time, um, when I go to another church and they're speaking in tongues, I don't understand what they're saying. And I thought when they speak in tongues, Right. Well, we're going to be looking at tongues in, in specific. And um, if you want to believe in tongues, you want to believe that tongues is still in operation today, then they should be um, um, used the way the New Testament says they should be used. And one of the ways the New Testament says, we'll talk about this, but if there is someone speaking in tongues, there needs to be an interpreter. Or that person is to shut up, all right? Because it doesn't do any good for me. If I could, if I stood up here and taught this class in Greek, it wouldn't help any one of you. It would not be edifying to you at all, unless somebody interprets. You know, it's like going to a to a you know a church service in another country, and they get up and they're speaking in Russian, and everybody's clapping and praising the Lord, and you're just sitting there scratching your head. You have no idea what's going on. Um, if somebody doesn't interpret, it's worthless. And that's one of the things that it says in 1 Corinthians 14, that if there is tongues in, in a church or in a service, someone needs to interpret or else somebody coming in is going to think you're all nuts. Yeah, most of the people who went to service the other day with a friend, and they didn't understand what they were saying either. Everybody went out and said, oh, we were so blessed, and said, well, what, what was said? What was said? And... Uh, if you don't know what's said, and by the way, that's the, one of the major points that Paul makes in um, 1 Corinthians 12 through 14. He says, I'd rather speak five words that somebody can understand than 10,000 that they can't. All right? Think of that, yeah. So you're suggesting that maybe um, emotion takes over? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah it can be emotion. Um, in fact, just about all the cults and things have a tongue-speaking contingent in them. Um, Mormonism does. Uh, Catholicism does a lot of a lot of them do. Um, the way international, what used to be the way international had that. But we're we're, we're going to talk about that in detail. So don't worry, we'll, we'll we'll slog through that so that you understand. And wherever you land on that spectrum, whether you say tongues have stopped, which is where I'm at, or whether you say tongues tongues still exist, if they do exist, they need to be done the way Paul lays out in the New Testament. Otherwise, it's not the valid gift of tongues. All right? Because what do you know about Satan? He's a counterfeiter. Satan has no original ideas. He's a counterfeiter. And he will do anything to confuse people. And he has pulled it off magnificently when you look at some of so-called modern Christianity. He has got people bamboozled. Um, just, just totally bamboozled. So this is important. It's important to understand that the spiritual gift that you have is unique to you. It's used to minister to other people, not yourself. All right? It is energized by the Holy Spirit. Okay? It's not you that's doing it. And by the way, it's something you're going to enjoy doing. It's not going to be a drudge. 
It's not going to be, you know, oh, man, I, do I really have to go teach them this morning? I don't want to do that. I mean, I enjoy coming here and doing what I do. And it's not because of me. It's because the Holy Spirit, it's what the Spirit has designed me to do. And I find joy. Now, now the ministry to me is I find joy in doing what God has gifted me to do. That's the joy to you. You find joy in doing that. All right? But it's something that's energized by the Holy Spirit. All Christians have one of these. If you're a Christian, you have a spiritual gift. If you don't have a spiritual gift, you're not a Christian. Alright? For example, in Romans 12, this is one of the lists of spiritual gifts. Romans 12, 8 is a list of spiritual gifts. It's written to brethren. Now, who's brethren in Paul's letter to Romans? Well, it's believers. Alright? And the assumption is there that all of us, everybody there, has a gift. Now, Paul lists, I think, about eight spiritual gifts in Romans 8. Eight enablements. We're going to call them enablements. I don't want to use gift. That's a bad word. Enablement. He lists eight enablements. And there's, um, I'm trying to think here. I think there's a, there's, I think if you put the list together in Romans, in 1 Corinthians, in, in Peter, and in Ephesians, you get about 28 different enablements. Alright? But understand that those are not exhaustive. Paul Lissom is, by the way, here are some examples of divine enablements. I don't think they're exhaustive in the sense that they're all of them. But they give you an idea of what an enablement is. All right? And we're going to work through those. Don't worry. 1 Peter 4.10 says, As every man has received the gift, even so minister to one another. And the word there uses the gift in the singular. It's not as every man has received gifts, plural, as everyone has received the gift, minister to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. The word manifold, there's a fascinating word. It means multicolored. Go back to our analogy of the computer screen, multicolored. Take, the Holy Spirit takes a little bit of this and a little bit of that and a little bit of that, mixes it up, and you have a unique color to your spiritual gift that only you have. And that is what we are to use to minister, look what Peter says, to one another. It's not to myself. It's to one another. That's why I have a spiritual gift. I don't have a spiritual gift to make myself spiritual. And by the way, one of the things we'll understand about spiritual gift, the spiritual gift you have is no indication of how spiritual you are. It's no indication of spirituality. And that's one of the problems you have like in some of the charismatic spinoffs that they say, well, you know, the more spiritual people are the ones with the gifts of healing and miracles and tongues. And by the way, that, that is not what the scripture teaches. You can have the gift of preaching and be one of the most carnal people in the church. And then you can have the gift of ministry and helps and work with little kids and be one of the godliest people in the church. So what spiritual gift you have has no indication of how, how spiritual you are. It has nothing to do with that. 1 Corinthians 12.7 says the manifestation of the Spirit is given to every man. To every man in what context? The church. Every one of us in here has a spiritual gift. Every one of us. We all have a unique gift that God has given us that we can use to help other people, to minister to other people in the body of Christ. A unique mixture. All right? Yes? Uh, to, to support what you just said about... Uh, uh, the spiritual gift is not for the spirit, you know, the more spiritual, the more gift. 
uh, is, is supported by the church of Corinth being the least, the most common. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know. I mean, a lot of people say, well, we want to be like the church at Corinth. No, you don't. That was one of the most carnal, debauched churches that, in existence. You don't want to be like that church. And Paul said to them, you, you come behind in no spiritual gift. I mean, he basically said, you all, you have what you need. And this is something unique, too. This is interesting. God, in any church, no matter whether it's Open Door or whether it's Frog Pond Baptist Church down in southern Ohio, whatever. By the way, there is a church called Frog Pond, believe it or not. Um, Frog Pond Baptist Church, God, the people in that church have what they need. God has gifted everybody in that church to fulfill what that church needs. It's interesting how God does that. Each church, is you're not missing spiritual gifts. God is, will draw people together with all the gifts that are needed for a particular place. And again, you know, people say, well, you know, obviously Pastor Jim, he's the most godly man at Open Door. Probably not. I don't know who is, but you know, if we had Jesus Christ walk in say, and line us up from most spiritual to least, you might be surprised where you land on that. By the way, don't go and say to him that I said he wasn't spiritual. That's not the point here. The point is, we, we equate spirituality with prominence. That's our problem. We equate, you know, the more godly people are the ones that are up there preaching, teaching, singing, whatever. And that's not the case at all, folks. And by, by and large, you know, the godliest people in the church may not be the most prominent speakers or the most ones that are most prominent in ministry. It may be the exact opposite. All right? So the important concept here is all of us in here have a spiritual gift that's unique to us that the Spirit has given us. Each gift is actually a mixture of enablements. And this is what we're going to do. Enablements. All right. And just as an artist, I mean, if you're an artist, um, you can take paint and mix it to any color. The Holy Spirit takes all these divine enablements and on a palette sort of mixes them together. And that's you. That's you. A um, couple, couple of years ago, in 2007, Don and I went to, no, not 2007, in 2005 we went to Paris and we went to the Louvre and I like seeing the pictures in the Louvre and to see the uh, you know you have pictures the size of that wall over there that people have painted and this is not in the days you know when you went down to Pat Catan's and you picked out your paints this is in the days where you trudged out into the bogs and you picked the plants and you mixed your own paint all right that's what happened and the skill that these people used to they're so realistic, you almost think you can walk into the pit. That's art. You know, this modern art stuff, I don't get it. You know, I went to modern art in, in, uh, it's in Washington, D.C. I went down to the basement of the Modern Art Museum. They had a big uh, display there of some famous artist. And I was looking around trying to find the paintings. And I asked somebody, I said, Where, where's the art? I don't see it. And said, well, it's hanging on the wall. And I said, you're kidding. I thought that was, I thought they were painting the place and that was the drop cloth from the paint. That's literally what it looked like, you know. And they paid this guy thousands of dollars to, to put drop cloths on the wall. I don't get that, you know. I, I get when you look at a picture and you can see what it is. And that's what the Holy Spirit does. He takes these divine enablements and on a palette, he mixes them all together and out comes your gift that you only have. 
It's a unique combination. And again, 1 Peter 4, 8 through 10 speaks of a multicolored, the manifold grace of God. It's multicolored and sparkles in all different shades of color. A spiritual gift is not a talent. Now, that's one of our problems. We equate spiritual gifts with talents. Some people have the gift of gab, and we think, well, if they become a Christian, then they're going to be a speaker or a teacher. They may bomb at that. All right, That may not be what God has enabled them spiritually to do. They might have a talent for things. All right, But that doesn't necessarily mean that the talent translates to a spiritual gift. Now, often what happens is God does use your natural talents in some way. But he's not bound to do that. Some of the godliest people are ones that you would think they have no talent to do what they do, but somehow God has gifted them to do it. And, wow. Quite often people who have, as you put it, the gift of gab are those who are, are phobic of public speaking. Yeah. I mean, they just couldn't do that. They can't do it. Money. They can't. Some people, and, and, and one of the things we're going to be talking about here is is, um, you know, the gift of teaching. You know, the gift of teaching is manifested in many different ways, is it not? I can't teach kindergartners. Can't do it. I can teach adults. I can't teach kindergartners. All right? I have the gift of teaching, and somebody who's teaching kindergarten may have the gift of teaching, but it's manifested in a different way to a different group of, of people for different purposes. And just as you couldn't take a kindergarten teacher and plop them up here and teach adults possibly, even so I can't teach kindergarten, that doesn't mean that, you know, one of us is more or less spiritual. It just means our, our gift is manifested in a different way to different people. All right? And, and that's okay. We've got to get out of this. One of the great dangers, we're going to talk about this. Um, one of the great dangers, a lot of times we want to exercise somebody else's spiritual gift. And it doesn't work that way. You know, if this church was full of people who had the gift of preaching, what would happen? Misery, right? You've you got to have different people doing different things with different enablements. And it's okay. And I don't need to be, I, I can't exercise Pastor Jim's spiritual gift. That's for him to exercise. I need to exercise the one God gave me. You need to exercise the one God gave you. And don't let somebody, another danger is don't let somebody put you on some guilt trip because you're not doing X, Y, Z. I remember Pastor Daryl Farney called me up one time. He wanted me to get into EE. He said, oh, you'd be good at that, Alan. I said, no, I wouldn't. Oh, yeah, you really need to be in this. I said, Daryl, I'm not. He said, why not? I said, because I've tried it. I don't do well at it. I'm not gifted in that area. I'm not going to do it. All right? I'm not going to be put on... And I, I wouldn't let him... You know, he has, this, like, he has a way of just making you feel guilty, you know. Um, and I wouldn't let him do it. I said, I'm not going to do it. I said, I said, I'm gifted to do this. I'm not gifted to do that. All right? Somebody else is gifted to do that. Now, that does not mean that I don't evangelize. I do it differently. That's not my gifting. That's not my calling. That's not what God has gifted me to do. Don't let somebody shame you into exercising a gift that you don't have because it's misery for you. It's misery for the people you're dealing with. They're not going to like it. 
again, your spiritual gift is something you're going to enjoy doing. You're going to look forward to that. And I know people that they can't wait for EE to come around because they just love doing that. Hey, that's their gift. Have at it. Go for it. Missionaries do this, right? They come to church, you know, and, you know, unless you give up your job and go to, you know, Africa and eat, you know, what I used to call monkey brain and tarantula soup and trudge through the jungle and swat away the big flies to tell natives of Christ, you're not spiritual. That's not right. Now, some of you may be called to do that, and if you are, you're going to love it. But not everybody's called to be that. If everybody was a missionary, who would do the sending? We're all called to do something differently. And what you will find, and this is the challenge of these weeks here, what I would hope you would do is you would find what God has gifted you to do, you would do it, and you will find that you will have joy beyond anything you can understand. You will love what it is that God has given you to do. That's what he's created you for. That's what he's gifted you to do. And you will have no greater joy than to do that. And if you try to do something else, you're going to be miserable. And, you're, and the ministry is not going to be there. People are just not going to be ministered to. You need to do what God's gifted you to do. All right. Enough with a couple of rabbit trails. But look here. It's, it's not a talent. And a talent is not a spiritual gift. You know, baking pies is not a spiritual gift. It may be the gift of helps. And by the way, that's one of the most prominent gifts in, in I think, that God has gifted the church. What's the gift of helps? All kinds of things. All kinds of things, you know. Teresa, who did our handouts, that's the gift of helps. She enjoys doing that. She, she looks forward to that, helping people out. You know, that's, that's, that's a spiritual gift. And if she didn't do that, you know, my gift of teaching would be diminished because you need something to write on, or at least doodle on if you get bored. Um, so you need that, all right? We all need each other. And those who run the ministries, you know, the kitchen or, or serve the Wednesday night meals, things that's all a spiritual gift of helps. People who sweep the floors, who clean the church, that's a spiritual gift. John Corley had the spiritual gift of helps. The guy could do anything, you know. That was his spiritual gift. Now, he couldn't do well at teaching, but he could certainly do the other stuff. So, understand there's a difference between a talent and a gift. Another important concept, by the way, these are all just important concepts that we're going to lay the foundation as we talk about spiritual gifts here. They are given and empowered by the Holy Spirit. Notice what that says. They are given, first of all, and then they are energized or empowered by the Holy Spirit. You cannot exercise your spiritual gift in the flesh. Alright? You can't do that. It's got to be energized by the Spirit. For example, how do I really know that my spiritual gift is teaching? I know it is because it's energized by the Holy Spirit. You understand it's really not me talking up here. It's the Spirit talking through me. It's really not me. I surprise myself with some of the things I say once in a while. And anybody who's teaching knows that. They, they, you know, I'll sometimes go back and listen to a lesson I've done. I say, wow, where did I get that idea? And I remember, well, it's not you. It is the Holy Spirit. Now, by the way, understand something here. When we talk about empowered by the Holy Spirit, let's not go so far as to say, I don't need to do any discipline 
to exercise my gift. That's a danger. There are pastors, I remember listening to um, MacArthur talk about a panel he was on of pastors, prominent radio pastors, national pastors. And somebody in the audience asked, well, how much time do you spend preparing to preach a sermon? How much time do you spend in a sermon preparation? And one of the guys said, well, you know, he says, I'm sort of a Saturday night special guy. You know, come Saturday night, I sit down and figure out what it is I'm going to preach on the next day. And another guy says, well, I don't even do that. You know, I sort of figure it out when I'm walking into the pulpit. You know, when, when it's time for me to get up and preach, you know, God gives me something, I go for it. And then MacArthur said, well, I spent about 30 to 40 hours in sermon preparation. Now, you look at that and say, oh, well, you know, the guy that just gets up and wings it, he's the more spiritual. No, probably not. He's probably the laziest. All right? I have the spiritual gift of teaching, but that does not mean I can just come up here and just wing it. I've got to do some preparation. I've got to put some notes together. I've got to think through what I'm going to say. I've got to discipline myself to study so that I have something worthwhile saying. Pastor has the spiritual gift of preaching, but he does not come in here Saturday afternoon at 7 o'clock in the evening and put the sermon together. All right? Spiritual gift, if your spiritual gift may require discipline on your part. And you can actually, and by the way, you can get to the point where you can do it better, right? You may have the spiritual gift of teaching, but as you teach, as you practice it, as you learn new techniques, as you learn the scripture, you become better at doing it. All right? But you need to make sure that you don't go the lazy route saying, well, since it's empowered by the Holy Spirit, I'll just sort of wing it and see what the Spirit says this morning. Speaking of being empowered by the Spirit, it's, it's obvious both to the hearer and to the teacher when you become, it, it, it's your uh, agenda. Yeah. You know, they can tell. Mm-hmm. You know. And uh, I was telling somebody this last week, you know, I, the, the class we had last week on, on um, God's will, you know, someone's, you know, how long did it take me to put that together? It took me 45 minutes and 20 years. All right. It took me 45 minutes to put the slides together at Panera Bread while I was eating lunch. It took me 20 years to know what to put in the slide. And I had to, you know, I prayed and asked, and, I, and by the way, before I put those slides together, I was thinking through for a couple of days, how am I going to present this, what am I going to say, you know, that kind of thing. But if I just got up and just winged it, you'd all know that. I mean, you'd figure that out pretty quick. And one of the dangers that those of us who like do teaching in that, if we've done it for a long time, we've got enough stuff in our head that we could just bloviate. All right? But that's not going to do you any good. You need to keep fresh. You need to study. You need to keep bringing new stuff in. Alright? So, just because you have a spiritual gift does not mean you sort of kick back and just let the spirit go with the flow. You have to give some discipline to that. You have to put some effort. But that effort is empowered and energized by the spirit. Yeah, and maybe a minor aspect of it, but when you have done your preparation and your heart is right, and then you come up to the stage and Yeah. 
Yeah. yeah. One of the things that I've I've experienced several times is I I pot been teaching now for I don't know 20 years I, I forget I lose track of it but I've had sessions where I just say you know that was just a big dud I mean I I mean I couldn't have done any worse if I would have worked at it you know you know everybody was just like uh, you know and it, nothing and then somebody will come up after that class and say you know that was the most powerful class I've ever been in and it's like what what you know what plane of existence are you on you know you missed this one you know and then there are classes I go into and I think I knocked them dead and everybody says boy you're a little bit off today feeling okay you know and um what you see there and this is important what you see there you see the Holy Spirit doing this and and I think the Spirit does that once in a while just to make us understand it's not you it really isn't I've used the illustration before of a good friend of mine who does EE, who did EEs with the Lord now but you know, he told me about the session he went, and he, he, he said, you know, they should have taped that. They should have had a video crew there taping this presentation, because it was the absolute best presentation that was ever done in EE. I said, what happened? He said, nothing. Nobody responded. Then he said, I went out the next week, and I did a presentation. They should have taped that one. That was the worst one I've ever done. I did everything wrong. How not to present EE. And I said, what happened? He said, well, everybody got saved. <laughs> and the whole point is this it's not you it is the Holy Spirit and for you to really exercise you've got to get out of the way see when I teach i got to get out of the way and let the Spirit talk because the more I'm up here the less the Spirit speaks and that is a tough thing same with Pastor Jim the best sermons he will do is when he's not there it is the Spirit speaking through him and the more of him that shows through, the less God shows through. It's also through uh, the Spirit working through the people that are there. Yes. Yeah. And, and, you know, you can say the dumbest things and the Holy Spirit can prick the heart of somebody. You know, I remember talking to somebody and they said, you remember when you said whatever it was? And I, I said, yeah, I sort of remember that. I said, boy, you know, you hit me upside the head with a board. You know, it's like... Well, I didn't try to do that, but and it wasn't me. It wasn't any. It wasn't really much of a profound statement, but the Holy Spirit made it profound to that's, that person. That's the way it was. In my personal opinion, with Billy Graham, it was always so simple, so similar each message. I mean, I totally was engrossed and mm-hmm. missed him. Now with you know, he's older, but yeah, I mean, it wasn't. Ever that I walked away from any of his sermons feeling, wow, I didn't know that, or whoa, that's the concept that's interesting to learn. It wasn't ever that. It was the simple salvation message that everybody was hooked. Mm-hmm. Not everybody, but those who were listening. The, the challenge for us and our spiritual gift is to get out of the way and let the Spirit operate. That's the challenge. That's the hard part of that. Because our flesh really wants to to get in there, and and those who teach and preach, you know, have public type ministries or public type gifts, it's harder for them than others. It's hard, it's hard for them, you know, to get out of the way and let the spirit do the spirit's thing. Because showmanship gets in the way. Yeah. I think you don't have to turn on your television evangelist very long. 
this gal on the back said, um, the Holy Spirit works for the audience too, but it doesn't take too long to watch and realize that is it showmanship or is it the Spirit? Mm-hmm. And a lot of it's just plain showmanship. Flash, blitz. You know, because we live in that visual age, you know. And we got we to we gotta watch that. It is the Spirit that does the work. It's not, and this is something to understand. If anything, if you learn anything in this class, it's not because I've done a really great job putting PowerPoints together or speaking or talking or I have funny illustrations. It's because the Holy Spirit takes what I say and applies it to your heart. That's where the change comes. And I can come in here and I can entertain you. I can show you fancy PowerPoints and nothing will happen if the Holy Spirit is not in it. And that's the same way with preaching. That's the same way with any ministry. doesn't mean I don't want to do my best. That's the other side of that. doesn't mean I don't want to do my best. But I have to realize that my best will not do it unless it's the Holy Spirit that is in it. And that's the same way with all of our spiritual gifts. Right. And they're, and they're going to struggle with that and the people are going to struggle with that. See, your spiritual gift is going to be confirmed by two major things. Number one, what you enjoy doing. But number two, how do people respond? If I say I have the gift of teaching, you'll walk out of saying, I've had it, I'm out of here. I probably don't have the gift of teaching. All right, because it's confirmed by those who you minister to. They confirm that gift. All right. Um, but they are empowered by the Holy Spirit. It is God who empowers and energizes and makes it happen. And if it doesn't, if it's not God in it, it isn't going to work. It's just not going to work. The Holy Spirit is not going to give the power. You know, if, if the Holy Spirit is not giving the power, nothing's going to happen. Nothing will happen. So and that's why, for example, it's important for you to exercise your gift. Because that's what God really wants you to do. All right? And, and, and you know, again, let's take the illustration of the gift of teaching. That, that can be many different manifestations of that. You can be teaching adults, kindergartners. You can be teaching one-on-one. You know, there's some people that do very well one-on-one. Discipleship, but put them up in front of a crowd, they've had it. But forget it. Don't go there. But one-on-one, they can do that. That's the gift of teaching. It's just manifested in a different way, to a different group, to a, in a different venue. And it's okay. That's, that's, that's all right. You know, one of the things I would hope that you all understand is you need, don't, don't, again, one of the great dangers I've seen when it comes to spiritual gifts is we get, we let people put us on these guilt trips. That if we're not doing certain things, we're not spiritual or we're not doing what God wants us to do. Everybody needs to be in EE. Everybody needs to be out on Tuesday night. No. No. The gifts work together uh, at the beginning when you refer to them as a package. Mm-hmm. Uh, and because they work together, uh, one of the gifts being the gift of discernment, some people literally don't have it, and but those who do can tell when 
for instance, using the teaching example, that it's it's either of the Holy Spirit or it's just of that person mm-hmm. with his or her agenda. And I say that to say um, uh, a strong example that I'll never forget back in the mid-90s when I was momentarily uh, at another church and uh, this individual came in who those people in the congregation who didn't have the gift of discernment was just taken with them and thought he was all that in a bag of chips and I knew from the get-go he wasn't from Jack and it, it became discovered that he wasn't and he got you know run out of town on a rail but the, yeah I mean they work together mm-hmm. even though some people who don't have the gift of discernment therefore will be deceived yeah well, and, and what you say is something very important. And one of the things when we're talking about spiritual gifts, we're getting on a rabbit trail, so just put up with it. Um, but it's an important rabbit trail. And that is, some of us, one of, the, one of the things when it comes to spiritual gifts is we need to realize what gift we have. We need to realize what gift we do not have. And those gifts that we do not have, we need to look to people who have them. All right, And it's very true in the spiritual gift of discernment. There are some people, I, I, knew, I know a lady, she's one of the nicest ladies on the planet, and she has the discernment of a rock. <laughs> she can't, she, she is a, she's a wonderful lady. Wonderful lady. You know, just a, a very sweet person. But she has zero spiritual discernment. All right? And I knew it when I called Kenneth Copeland a heretic and she got out of class and left because I, I called her Kenneth Copeland, which, by the way, he is a heretic. Oh, you need to understand that. He denies the deity of Christ, so you've got to stay away from him. But she got mad at me. You know, and it's like she, just, she could not understand. How, how dare you say something bad about someone who claims to be of the Lord? And it's like, look, it, it's not... You gotta understand, you may not have the spiritual gift of discernment, but there are other people that do, and you need to ask them about it. You know, is there something here I'm not seeing? And sometimes there is, and you need to depend on them to help you, because you may not have it, yeah. Sometimes I used to think that people who didn't have discernment just were either unbelievers or not being obedient to God. I remember learning when I realized, no, some people don't have the gift of discernment. And God gives others to help them. Right. And that's why it's part of using your gift for others in that way. And we all got to work together. And so we need to be careful. You know, it's important. We need to be careful that, you know, if somebody comes up and says, look, you know, um, if you don't have the gift of discernment, somebody said, you know, Kenneth Copeland, you got to worry about him, you know, because he, you know, denies the deity of Christ. He had Jesus appear to him and claim that he was not God. He, he said that on multiple occasions. Um, he, he denies the deity of Christ. He, he denies the foundations of the Christian faith. This guy is someone you need to watch out for. And I say, yeah, but he's so nice. Um, what you need to do in that case, you need to say, I need to watch it because I may not see that. Someone else does see that. I need to watch it. And maybe confirm it with others who have that. But that's how we all help each other in the body of Christ. That's how all of us work together. Um, I'm reading a book um, on anatomy. I, I'm just fascinated by it. I don't know. That's just me. You know, anatomy. You know, 
And, and um, what I find amazing, again, is how these idiots say that it all is just a big accident. You don't know how complex you really are um, when you start looking at the, at, the, at the physical body. But it's interesting how all of the systems of the body work together to protect the body. All right? You've got white blood cells that go and kill the bacteria in your, you know, the, the, the viruses. And if you didn't have those, you'd be dead within a matter of hours or days. Now, there are probably the red blood cells that, you know, I don't know what this guy's all upset about over here. You know, I don't know what, what's got him all excited. If they could talk, they can't. But, but the whole point is, all of the body needs all of the different components or you're dead. All right? And the church needs everybody in it or it's going to have a viral infection. You've got somebody come in who they can talk. I'll tell you what, they, Satan can bamboozle. Now, if you want to know, if you want an example of this, read Acts 8. What happened in Acts 8? You got a big revival going on, right? And who comes, who comes forward? Who walks the aisle? Simon Magus. Remember Simon? He walks down the aisle. And not only does he walk down the aisle, he signs the card, he's baptized, he becomes a member of the church. And then Peter shows up. Right? Now when Peter shows up, all of a sudden you have the Samaritans, I think the Samaritans breaking out speaking in tongues. And Simon Magus says, wow, that is really cool. Can I buy that trick? Because he was a magician, right? And how did Peter respond? Oh, full of all subtlety and mischief, you child of the devil. Wait a minute. The church had already accepted him as a member. He might have even been on the board of deacons, for all we know. This guy was in. Nobody there figured it out. None of the spiritual people in that church figured it out. But when Peter came, Peter had the gift of discernment, and he spotted him a mile away. And by the way, church history tells us he became a great enemy of the Christian faith. He was a, he was a bitter enemy of the truth. Simon Magus was. That was harsh of Peter, don't you think? Yeah, and you know, I say, but, you know, and there are probably some people in the church saying, boy, you know, Peter, you know, you came down pretty hard on that guy. I mean, you called him a child of the devil. What in the world? Well, he was. He was. So you need... You need the people with the gift of discernment and, 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 you know, depend on them to help fight some of these infections that come into the body of Christ that can kill it. Because they come in through, a lot of times through, walking the aisle, signing the card, shaking the hand, and praying prayer. That's right. Peter, you know, Paul in, first, in Ephesians, or not Ephesians, but in Acts 20, said, I know after my departure, grievous wolves will come in not sparing the flock, and even from among yourselves, people will rise up. So you got two sources of infection. you got the infection from the outside. That's the viruses and the bacteria. But you got the infection from the inside. That's the cancer. Now, if you don't deal with both of them, you're done for. And that is why God has gifted all of us differently. He's gifted all of us differently. And we, we all, you've got to understand, we need everybody. We need each other, desperately. If open doors to be a healthy, functioning body of Christ, we all need to be doing what God has designed us and gifted us to do. And if we're not, this church is going to run a fever. 
All right? We need to be doing that. You need to be involved. And don't say, well, my gift is not, you know, I'm not preaching, I'm not teaching, it must, you know, I must not be much of anything. You know, my wife Donna cannot preach, she cannot teach, she can't hear half the time what's going on. But every kid in this place loves her and thinks she walks on water. Alright, she has a gift of helping those kids and they all love her. And quite honestly, of the two of us, she's probably the godliest one in our family. Because those kids just love her. She has a love for kids. That's a spiritual gift, folks. That's, and that's needed. You need those people. Sometimes a lot more than you need me. You need those people. Some of us need it. Yeah. By the way, you do need to be in a small group. All of you. You need to be in a life group. Because that's where you're going to be challenged in your spiritual life. The biggest problem we have in open doors, we have people that slide in the door and they slide out. We don't even know who they are. They just sort of appear. They show up. There's no, there's no accountability. They have no accountability to anybody for anything. You know, they like it that way. They like the anonymous. The, 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 the New Testament doesn't have any concept of an anonymous Christian, a stealth Christian. You know, one's a Christian, but you don't know it. That, that doesn't exist in the New Testament. And, and here's the thing. Understand this. You have a spiritual gift, right? Why did God give you, why did the Holy Spirit give you that gift? To minister to? If you're not in a venue where you're able to use it to minister to others... You're out of you're in disobedience. You're out of the will of God. I'm telling you right now, you want to know the will of God, you're out of the will of God if you're not involved ministering your spiritual gift in some capacity. You're out of the will of God. So don't ask God, you know, where to, to go uh, for for your job or who to marry or what school to attend if you're not exercising your spiritual gift. You gotta do it. Find out what it is, have at it, go for it. You know? Um, it is the spirit that empowers you to exercise it. And you, and you need to depend on Him. They're given to minister to others, not yourself. Boy, I'll tell you, if, you, if this would kill the modern charismatic movement right here if they got a hold of this concept. It has nothing to do with them. I was listening to a, uh, some of them talking and they had dueling tongues. One guy was speaking in tongues, and the other guy, it was like, you know, you see in Deliverance, you know, where they got the banjos going. One guy was speaking in tongues, and the other guy, was, and the audience is clapping and carrying on. And I'm just sitting there saying, good night. You know, what is this? It's, so, it's entertainment. That's all it is. It's, it's, it's folly. It's stupidity. It's not given, your spiritual gift is not given to make you spiritual. It's given to help other people grow spiritually. That is why you've been given it. When you look at the cells of the body, every cell in your body depends on the other cells for life. They don't exist in and of themselves. They don't exist just to be there. You don't have organs that are there just to take up space. You have organs that contribute to the health of the body. And when that organ malfunctions, the entire body goes haywire. 
All right? And the same thing in the body of Christ. If you're not exercising your spiritual gift, you're impacting the health of the greater body. Because you're not doing what God's called you to do. And in fact, Paul uses, this is interesting, because Paul uses the metaphor of the body in 1 Corinthians 12. That's one of the major metaphors of spiritual gifts. In here, he, he talks about, um, you know, the eyeball syndrome. What's the eyeball syndrome? Well, the eye says, you know, I'm, I'm really prominent. I'm really a prominent member of the body. I really don't need the foot. Well, if you're, if you, you can have perfect vision, and if you have no feet, what happens? You sit around looking at the same thing all of the time, right? Or then the foot might say, well, you know, I'm not, I'm not the eye. I'm not very prominent. The eye doesn't need me. Yeah, it does. And in the church, we have the same thing. We have, we have people in the church who are eyeballs. They think they are the most importantly gifted person in the church. And if they, exi- if they leave the church, the whole kingdom of God comes to a screeching, grinding halt. You know what? It doesn't. God, you know, this, this other thing to understand. God does not need anybody in here to put forward the kingdom. He doesn't need you. You're not, you're not a critical component in the sense that if you quit coming to open door, this church would just collapse. Don't get so arrogant and proud thinking that somehow you are the greatest thing to happen to Christianity since the Apostle Paul walked into town. You're not. That's the eyeball syndrome. There are people who are eyeballs. They think they are the most prominent, needful people. It goes with arrogance and pride. That is not spirituality. And then there are the feet. The feet say, well, you know, I'm not an eye, I'm not a, you know, I'm not a prominent member of the body. They don't need me. I don't need to, you know, if I don't do my spiritual gifts, it isn't going to impact anything. Yeah, it will. That's what Paul says. Paul says it's needed. The eye needs the foot. The foot needs the eye. But people who have that arrogance, that pride, are detected by those who have discernment and mm-hmm. they don't. And the danger is, the more prominent your gift, i.e. preaching, teaching, leading, administration, the more danger it is for you to fall into the eyeball syndrome, thinking that somehow, if you didn't exist, the church would... If I get run over by a truck tomorrow, God will have somebody else in here the next week. Yeah. God doesn't need to use... I'm, I'm thankful that God uses me, but you know, if I disappeared tomorrow, this church would go forward. The kingdom of God would not crash and burn. So I don't want to get so arrogant to think that somehow if I don't show up, everything falls apart. But I also don't want to fall in the other trap if I don't have a prominent gift of thinking, I'm not needed. What does it matter whether I show up or not? Nobody knows I'm here. I'll tell you what, if Donna doesn't show up, all of the kids know she's not here. And when I go to Grafton and she's not with me, everybody says, where's your wife? Is she okay? Don't you care about me? No, we don't care about you. We want to know how your wife is doing. <laughs> That's just the way it is. I'm the grouchy guy married to the nice lady in Grafton. You know? So let's, I think, um, let me see what we got. We're going to have to stop here and pick this up next week because we're out of time. But what I would really encourage you to do, go to 1 Corinthians 12 and 13 and 14 and really start reading those carefully. Read those carefully. 
Because that is really, if you want to think about it, that is like the classic instructional passage on spiritual gifts. Okay? First Peter four. Um, the chapters are First Peter four eight through ten, um, Ephesians chapter four I think right around verse twelve, Romans chapter one, or Romans chapter twelve verses one through eight, and then First Corinthians twelve thirteen and fourteen. Those are your spiritual gift passages. First Peter four eight through ten. Okay. 12, 1 through 8. Ephesians chapter 4, and I think it's right around verse 12. Um, and then there's uh, 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14. So. Alright, well let's close in prayer. Father, thank you for this day, for granting it to us. And um, Father, I pray that all of us in here would exercise the gift that you've given us. We can't exercise someone else's. We, uh, we shouldn't be feel guilty, Father, for not doing what somebody else thinks we should be doing, but we need to we do need to feel guilty for not doing what you think we should be doing. And I pray all of us in here would have a renewed conviction and a renewed desire to find our place and to do that gift that you've given us to do that only we can do. And we thank you for this time in Christ's name. Amen.